Hello, and welcome to the Family Center's Ask the Experts podcast. I'm Pamela Flom, Board President of the Family Center, and this is the first of our podcasts. I'm excited to share some information with you about our organization and our upcoming programming. Subsequent podcasts will feature experts giving a preview of their upcoming talks and presentations on timely and relevant topics. The Family Center was founded 17 years ago on the premise that parents can do better when they know better. What started as a handful of resources in the Play Central drop-in program is now a full range of programs addressing the entire spectrum of family life, and our administrative offices are now located at the War Memorial in Gross Point Farms. We focus on providing families and individuals with knowledge to help them navigate through and find solutions to life's changing issues. Frequently, we offer resources when people are in the midst of a family crisis, feeling stressed and alone, and not knowing what to do. But much of our programming is focused on education and prevention, so people have information before they need it and are better equipped to handle situations as they arise. At some point or stage in our lives, we all need help. It could be the startling discovery of drug paraphernalia in our teenage son or daughter's bedroom. The realization that a parent or spouse woke up this morning, confused about where they were. A friend or family member telling you that he wants to end the agony of living. Many times, the Family Center stimulates dialogue about ongoing and emerging topics many of us are reluctant to discuss. But these issues are often the ones we need the most help understanding, such as the impact of electronic devices on our children's development, bullying, suicide awareness and prevention, addiction and recovery, senior care, divorce, sex trafficking, and many more. Information about the Family Center and these important topics, among others, can be found on our website at familycenterweb.org which includes a vast archive of original articles and videos of past talks and presentations. It also provides an online resource referral directory, the Association of Professionals, which includes mental health practitioners, specialized services, organizations, senior services, schools, faith community organizations, and many businesses working with families and individuals. Ask the Expert talks occur on a regular basis at many different locations within our community, and details can be found on our website. Some highlights of our upcoming winter 2018 program schedule include developing children's empathy in the digital age, dementia, how to communicate and understand its behaviors, the role of technology in the classroom, and the importance the role that the family plays in the recovery process. These resources and programs are available at no cost to those seeking out the information or attending programs. Please call 313-447-1374 or visit FamilyCenterWeb.org for more information. The Family Center is a 501c3 and our services are entirely funded by community contributions. Thank you for listening. And we hope that you'll benefit from the Family Center's programs and will share our information with friends, our family, who may also find it helpful. 
I'm Bart Bronk. I'm the head of University League at School, and I'm really excited on Tuesday, February 13th at 7 uh, to present a talk called Raising Empathic Children in a Disconnected Age at University League at School. Over the past decade, I've, I've spoken on this topic to dozens of groups of educators and students. And, and in those talks, I do an exercise where I ask audience members to reflect on a great teacher. And I mean that really in the broadest sense of the word. Uh, it might be a parent. In many cases, it's a parent. It might be a classroom teacher. It might be a coach. But, but I really want them to reflect on that great teacher of their life and then to come up with some adjectives. How would you describe that person? And we go around the room and we share. And what's remarkable to me is that the words that are shared are always words of connection rather than expertise. So you hear words like caring, compassionate, understanding, always there rather than great at math, you know, really new grammar. Um, you know, or, or really taught me how to throw a pitch. Uh, and, and in my life, I've experienced that as well. And, and, and it seems from these experiences that, that we really treasure experiences most when those experiences are mediated by deep human connection. So for the past two decades, there's this growing body of research, which suggests that an individual's facility with these connective skills, these, uh, this ability to connect with other human beings, uh, which Dan Goleman in 1995 famously branded as emotional intelligence, um, those skills are highly predictive of success, and that means success in school, uh, success in career, uh, success in relationships, which which sort of makes a lot of sense to us. But really, success and fulfillment in life, highly emotionally intelligent people have highly fulfilled lives. Uh, what was really interesting about Goldman's work is that that he noted that these skills were far more predictive of success on these fronts than traditional measures like IQ. Uh, and so he branded it EQ. EQ is the most important thing that we can develop in young people was his fundamental premise. Now, Goleman breaks emotional intelligence down into five sort of sub-traits, responsible decision-making, self-management, self-awareness, social awareness, and relationship skills. Now, it's my premise that foundational to each of these, but certainly the last three that relate to awareness and social ability is the ability of empathy. So what is empathy? Empathy, in its simplest terms, is feeling with another. Uh, what empathy really isn't is sympathy, which what I, I would characterize as feeling for another. And that prepositional difference is key. Feeling with another is empathy. When we feel for another, when we express sympathy, there's an inherent power dynamic. I'm here in a good place. You're there in a bad place. With empathy, empathy it's I'm here you're there in a bad place. Let me join you. Empathy is a choice. It's a vulnerable choice. I'm going to share that emotion that another is feeling. I'm going to try it on myself. Uh, and, and popular metaphors for empathy, of course, are walking in someone else's shoes or seeing with someone else's eyes. So what's the biological basis for empathy? This is a really fascinating question, uh, really what excites me most about the topic. Uh, what's fascinating about it is that it's both effective and cognitive. And those are, those are psychological terms that, that I'll describe a little bit. Um, but the effective, that's with an A, the effective dimension of empathy is unwitting. It's automatic. We are literally hardwired to feel with others. There's a famous experiment with newborn babies that a newborn baby will react with more distress to the sound of another newborn baby than an equally loud, startling noise of a similar volume and pitch. We are literally born ready 
to empathize with other creatures before we even have a sense of self. Now, there's some debate about the mechanisms of that effective, that hardwired empathy. Uh, but uh, there's uh, one, one of the suspects is something called mirror neurons, which I'll share more about in February, uh, that they may play a role. But empathy, of course, is also cognitive. It's a witting thinking process that involves our internal language mechanisms. It's a choice to say, I can imagine what you're feeling. I can think about feeling that myself and what that must feels like. And therefore, I can relate. I can share your emotion. Um, and that's something that develops throughout childhood, like many cognitive skills, and well into late adolescence. In fact, the last empathic ability that develops is the ability to empathize with distant third-party groups. How do I empathize with a group of people whose experience is so different than mine? It's one of the reasons, interestingly, as educators, that we don't teach the Holocaust until typically seventh or eighth grade, because students have not yet developed the ability to empathize with a historically distant third party. So why is this important? Why is this important to me as an educator and to me as a parent? Um, here's what educational research suggests. Children that are highly empathic have increased pro-social behavior. They're good kids. They're more altruistic. They're more likely to give. They're better collaborators. They have reduced aggression. They have improved peer relationships. They're more likely to act as defenders in a bullying situation. They have an improved sense of well-being. They, they're, they're better able to manage stress. And uh, there's a lot of research suggests that they're, they're actually better students. They have improved academic performance. And, of course, we have to look at the other side of that. Children with empathic deficiencies, children who haven't developed deep empathy, are more likely to be bullies or targets of bullies because they're more likely to be isolated. They're likely to exhibit antisocial behavior. Uh, they're more likely to have a low sense of well-being. Uh, and, and so understanding that body of research, I think it's really important as parents and as educators that we make this not a byproduct of what we do, but a focus of what we do. And there's, and there, and there's, there's a contemporary reason for that as well. Empathy is on the decline. Uh, a study at the University of Michigan uh, reviewed measures of empathy in incoming freshmen from 2000 to 2010. And in that decade, the measures of empathy in incoming freshmen dropped by 40%. A really, really startling data point. Uh, and so we start to think, well, what, what happened in 2000? And, and I should note that previous to that, empathy levels in freshmen were fairly consistent going back into the 70s and the 80s. So what happened in 2000? What was it that caused this sort of precipitous decline to begin? Um, research about causation is, is much harder than research about correlation. Uh, but a great suspect is that in the year 2000 uh, is about the time that handheld technology began to appear in the hands of high school seniors and college-age freshmen. Um, and, and I think it's fair to say that that technology fuels disconnection rather than connection. And it does so in a couple of ways. One, um, all that time we spend looking at our phones is time we used to spend looking at faces. Uh, and facial recognition is a huge part of empathy. You have to look at someone's face to see the impact of your words or your actions. Uh, and now we're, we're spending that time looking, looking at phones instead. Uh, there's a great study uh, that, that uh, measured facial recognition in uh, uh, middle schoolers who spent a week at a phone-free camp. And after seven days without a device, they were significantly better at facial recognition than when they began. Uh, and that says a lot about the ability of a, of a device to distract us from empathy. Um, it also reduces empathy, right? Uh, we, in some ways, the, the, the world of social media makes us feel more connected. 
uh, because we have more connections or friends or followers. And yet we're reducing that interaction. We're reducing empathy to a like, a share, a tag. Uh, this has become the way to indicate your approval of someone. And it's not true empathy. It's not true connection. Um, so it, it's fair to say that empathy is in crisis in modernity, which makes it even more important for parents and educators to focus on it. So what can be done? I think that's a really important question. There's lots that can be done. Uh, and there's lots of great work that comes out of the history of education. There's lots of great work that comes out of the medical fields about training med students to be more empathic and better clinicians about ways in which we can continue to develop strong empathy and mimic the skills that highly empathic people have, um, which is going to make us more able to connect with others. I'll talk about that and more uh, in a few weeks uh, on February 13th uh, at University Liggett School. So I really encourage you to come out. It's a really, really important discussion. And I think it's one that, that has the potential to really uh, help us to continue to think about how we raise and educate our children.